Good morning. Oh, come on. That was weak. You did better for her. Good morning. All right. I'm Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors here on our lead pastor team. So glad that you could be here this morning. We are wrapping up our Body Life series this morning. And uh, we are going to be walking through the end of the passage we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 4. It's actually near the beginning of the chapter, but it's the end of the passage we've been looking at. Starting with verses 11 through 16 this morning to give us some context. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So, as we start this morning, I wonder, have you ever had one of those moments where you're having a conversation with somebody and quite honestly, they're just, they're being kind of stupid about what you're talking about, just really immature. And you have this conversation and before you can even stop the words from coming out of your mouth, you look at them and go, just grow up, be an adult. You ever had one of those moments or at least maybe a moment where you thought that and you're like biting your tongue until it bleeds because you want to say it so badly, but... You know you probably shouldn't. Am I the only one? Come on, I'm not even getting very many smiles. You've not had one of those moments, surely. I think we've all had one of those, haven't we? And it's interesting because Jesus told us that we should come to him with childlike faith. But he said childlike faith, not childish faith. And it's interesting that I think some of us have never grown up spiritually, never matured, never learned to take care of ourselves, take responsibility for our choices from a spiritual perspective. She, childlike is a, is a mentality of being humble, of being eager to learn and to grow, where childish is more like throwing a tantrum or refusing to do something that you know you need to do just because you don't want to or maybe you're too lazy. And I wonder, when we look at your spiritual journey, which of those would you be? What represents your faith journey? Is it childlike? Or is it a little more childish when we describe it? By the way, I, I hope you didn't come this morning expecting sugar-coated or nice pretty illustrations or a pretty bow wrap package because God's been messing with my heart for a long time on this topic today. And actually my prayer this week has been that he'll mess with yours just as much as he's been messing with mine. So we'll see where this goes and, and how it works out. But I'm confident, see, that God wants us to grow up. He wants us to constantly be growing in our relationship with him, be growing in knowledge and understanding of who he is, living our lives according to his plan for us so that we look like Jesus to the world around us. And that's the journey we've been walking on for quite a while here at TBA. If you've been here for the last few series, not just this last one, but the last several series, we've been taking you on a journey that paints this picture. We started out talking about the importance of God's word in our life, the critical nature of understanding God's word as the authority and how we apply that in our lives. We talked about the importance of the way we apply it, helping to remove some of those toxins from our soul, the things that creep in and, and really mess us up in our spiritual journey and how we can cleanse some of that and get rid of it. We talked about some of the hard topics in the church, the things that we don't really like to discuss, the things we don't 
want to bring up, but yet we need to so that we can be healthy. We talked that elephant in the church series. And then most recently, we've been walking through the series talking about who the church is supposed to be, what we should really look like, and painting that picture of a unified body of believers that Paul tells us about in Ephesians, using our gifts in perfect harmony to build one another up and to accomplish God's purposes in the world around us. All of that, when you go back and look at that whole journey, it's a picture of something simple called discipleship. Becoming more and more like Christ, following his patterns for life, doing what he did and has called us to do. In fact, that was Jesus' final command to his followers, his 12 disciples, that he gave them before he left the earth. After the resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, he leaves them with this command in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's that even mean? Go and make disciples. I mean, what is a disciple anyway? Wasn't that just the 12 guys that followed Jesus around that we read about in the Gospels? Well, yeah, it was. But it's a lot more than that, too. And see, in Jesus' day, there was a, a great understanding of what a disciple was. When someone committed to be a disciple, they were committing to follow a rabbi or a teacher or a master. And they weren't just learning about that person or learning what they were teaching. They were learning to be like them. So when the disciples signed up to follow Jesus, when they commit to this life, they're committing to be like Jesus to learn what he is teaching so that they can turn and teach others because they know that their discipleship journey will culminate in them becoming the teacher, becoming the rabbi, so that they can teach others. So from the very beginning, they are learning that someone is pouring into them so that they can pour out to others along the way. In his book, Growing Up, Robbie Galati says it like this. From the start, God's simple design has been for every single disciple of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the gospel spreads to all peoples on the planet. Yet we have subtly and tragically taken this costly command of Christ to go, baptize, and teach all nations and mutated it into a comfortable call for Christians to come, be baptized, and listen in one location. I hate to admit it, but he's right. There are so many churches that have become more about the show and about the programs that they can offer than they are about creating disciples for Christ. Church was never designed to be a field of dreams where we say, build it and they will come. It was designed to be a living and breathing organism that is going into the world, that's offering hope, grace, healing, and restoration to a lost and dying world that's in desperate need of a Savior. But see, if you don't fall into that category, the flip side is no better because you can go from one end of the spectrum to the other. And the other side is that we're sending people into the world, and we have this idea of going and being mission, and even the mantra that we talk about here at TBA, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we go into the world trying to help people, but if we have nothing to offer them when we go into the world, how is that helping? If we are not in the process of being discipled, and if we're not going into the world with the purpose of discipling others and bringing them on the journey, how are we really helping? We're no different really at that point than a, a humanitarian organization that's offering band-aids to people with a gaping wound from a spiritual perspective. And that doesn't work so well. When you hurt yourself badly, you can't just stick a band-aid on it. You have to have stitches or you have to have somebody who can care for that wound and do something to help it heal. See, unfortunately, I'd say this is where a lot of us fall. 
We see the need to go into the world to help. And it's easy for us to repeat that idea, hands and feet of Jesus, let's go, let's, let's win the world. But how many of us are truly in relationships where discipleship's happening? How many of you would say that your relationship with Christ is actively growing? That you're learning more about God daily? That you're walking in obedience, regularly practicing spiritual disciplines in your life? I wonder how many of you were here last week, listened to Stivey speak when he talked about being a steward, and you walked away questioning, am I really being a good steward of my life? Much less my resources, but my life. Am I stewarding over that well? In that same book, Growing Up, Robbie Galati makes the reference that Christians can be compared to two different bodies of water. You can compare a Christian to the Jordan River or to the Dead Sea. And it's interesting, you think about the Jordan River, it's, it's, uh, the Jordan River gets its water from fresh springs that are constantly adding new water. It's always flowing, it's life-giving, it's fresh, it's changing. The Dead Sea lives up to its name. Water flows into it, but it never flows out. It just stops and it becomes stale and stagnant. The salt content, the mineral content is so high that nothing can live in it because it just keeps getting dumped into but never washing out. And I wonder if you were to compare your discipleship journey to one of those things, which would it be? Would it reflect the Jordan River or would it reflect the Dead Sea? And don't mishear me because I know we all have ups and downs in our journey. There's moments in our Christian journey that that we feel like we're at the Dead Sea, but I'm talking about the big picture. If you step back and take a 50,000-foot view of it, overall, where are you at? Is your relationship with Christ growing and alive, or is it stale and stagnant? You are the biggest determining factor in what that relationship looks like. What are you investing in the relationship What spiritual disciplines are you practicing regularly? Do you even know what I'm referring to when I talk about spiritual disciplines? Does that make sense to you? Who are you in relationship with that is teaching you and helping you to grow in your walk with Christ? Who are you helping to grow in their walk with Christ? There was a a poll or a survey that was conducted a few years ago by a group called TNET International, and they they went into a bunch of different churches, different denominational backgrounds, and they were looking for people who professed to be followers of Christ, and they were asking them questions about their journey with Christ. And they came to discover that 24% of the people they polled, Christ followers, indicated that their walk with Christ was sliding backward. 41% said they were static in their spiritual growth, neither moving forward or backward, just standing still, stale. That means 65% of Christians, according to that poll, are either stalled or declining in their walk with Christ. 65%. That's staggering. But I think it's also reflective of a lot of what we see in today's church. You'll hear us talk about all the time how we're fighting this epidemic in culture where God's one of many things. And we allow so many other things to get in front of God. And we've got all this stuff going on, and God often kind of takes a back seat. We let all these other things step in front of him in our priority list, but then we wonder, why are we not growing in our relationship? We find ourselves asking questions like, why am I still battling anger? Why can't I overcome my struggle with lust? When will I learn to be patient with my kids? Or why can't I love my spouse sacrificially like I should? 
Why is it that I can't hear God speaking in my life? How am I supposed to know what he wants me to do? Well, there are a couple things that I'd say here. And the first is this. We need to remember that our growth with Christ is a process. It is a process. Sometimes it's slow, and it requires a healthy environment. It requires those spiritual disciplines to be in place. It's just like growing physically. We sometimes don't grow physically as fast as we like. I mean, think about it. How excited do kids get about growing up and getting older? You ask a kid, well, how old are you? I'm 12, but I'll be 13 in 10 months. 10 months? You just turned 12. You're not almost 13. But that's how kids think, isn't it? Some of you still use the same thing. We ask, well, how old are you? Well, I'm 29. And I have been for 30 years, but I'm still 29. It's the same concept. We just kind of reverse it as we get older and our perspective changes, right? But seriously, think about how excited kids get about growing and maturing and moving to that next level and getting a little bit older and kind of reaching that next status. They want to be further along in the journey, but it takes time to grow. It's a process of growth. We grow sometimes slow, sometimes fast. Sometimes you watch your kids spring up several inches in a few months. Sometimes it seems like they didn't grow but a half inch over the last four years. And you see those differences. And in all of it, physical growth takes the right environment to make it happen. You've got to be getting the right nutrition, eating the right kinds of foods, getting good fluids in you. You need to have some exercise involved. You need to have other things in your environment that are helping you to grow, right? And when you don't get those things, what happens? You don't grow well. When you put negative things into your body, when you don't exercise well, when you don't eat well, when you're 10 years old and you're drinking 10 cups of coffee a day, you're not going to be a very tall kid. It's going to stunt your growth. It's going to mess you up. And our spiritual journey is so much the same. We have to have the right environment. We have to be putting the right things in and creating that healthy environment so that we can grow. We've got to be feeding our soul the right food, getting plenty of exercise, avoiding harmful toxins that mess us up. And that's when we'll see growth happen, sometimes slowly, but it'll happen. The second thing I'd say is that just like in our physical development, from a spiritual perspective, we all need good relationships. Or maybe you could say we need some good teachers in our lives. Think about how you got to where you are now. It's because someone has invested in you to help you develop and become a mature and responsible adult, hopefully, to where you are now. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it was a teacher along the way. Maybe a coach. Maybe some other mentor, an older sibling, an older friend. But somebody that you allowed to speak into your life who taught you, who discipled you, who brought you along. If you didn't have a good math teacher, you would have never learned to add and subtract and function in daily life. If you didn't have a good English teacher somewhere along the way, you would never learn to write a complete sentence or to sign your name. But we've had those teachers in our lives that have helped us. We all need that. We need teachers and mentors, and our spiritual life's no different. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. We need someone sharing their experience and knowledge with us to help us on our own path of development so that we can turn and share that with someone else. That's part of the discipleship journey. So here's two primary components of discipleship. Practicing spiritual disciplines or creating that healthy environment and then walking in relation with somebody who can disciple us. But there's a third very critical element. And in reality, this could probably, be, could probably fall under the, the idea of relationship, but I'm going to pull it out because I think it's important enough that we talk about it, and it's accountability. Discipleship requires accountability. We need to be in a relationship where we're being held accountable, giving permission for somebody to speak into our life for the purpose of helping us to grow. Not always fun, in fact, often not fun, but it's necessary. 
it's necessary. Just like a parent holds a child accountable, the goal is to teach and train that child to help them to have healthy boundaries and to grow up into a mature, responsible adult. And I think most of us, when we look back at our childhood, can see that either our parents set healthy boundaries and helped provide that structure, and even though we hated it then, we appreciate it now, or unfortunately, some of us probably can look back and see where our parents didn't do that, didn't set healthy boundaries and give us that structure, and we wish they had it because it would have helped us along the journey, wouldn't it? We need that accountability in our lives. We need the same thing in our spiritual lives. Somebody who can speak the truth and love to us. That's quite an interesting phrase. Truth and love. It's a big responsibility. Robbie Gilotti says this about accountability. Accountability never gives the right to condemn or criticize. Its goal is to redeem and reconcile us back to Christ through a proper understanding of our identity as sons and daughters of God. Personal development is accelerated through accountability questions. How's your relationship with your spouse? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Have you been modeling the gospel for your children? Are you reading the Bible each day? Awareness of deep-seated sins in others' lives is a holy stewardship. Listen to that. No single action will destroy a relationship built on discretion and trust faster than a breach of confidentiality. Even worse, the revealing of a confidential disclosure of sin or weakness in another Christian's life has the potential to destroy that believer, turning him or her away from the church or even from a walk with the Lord. What Jesus said of those who hurt little children is equally true of those who harm God's children, new, immature Christians. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. Hmm. It's a strong approach, isn't it? But it's true. Accountability is a big deal. This Robbie Galati that I'm talking about, by the way, that I, I keep pulling some of his quotes, this is from a book that our D groups are working through that kind of sets the foundation for them, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in a little bit. But I thought he had some great insight on this. It's critical when we are invited into a discipling relationship, when we're given permission to hold somebody accountable, that we have to hold that responsibility sacred. We constantly have to be checking our motivations and double-checking them and rechecking them yet again, making sure that our heart is right along the way. It's like Stivey challenged us to be good stewards of God's blessings last week. We're also challenged to be good stewards of our brothers' and sisters' hearts. There's some things I'm, I, I want to say to you this morning that are probably going to be a little tough. And I'm going to try to share my heart as best I can. And I hope that you can see truth and love for me as well this morning. Because the goal was not to condemn or criticize. The goal was to help us see the places that we can grow and how we can develop. So what is the point of all this? Where are we going? You know, we've been telling you for a long time about the dreams that God's placed in our hearts and the vision that he's put before TBA. We've talked about how it takes all of us to accomplish the vision. Amy just gave you a great example a while ago how we all have to come together for the Halloween party to make that happen. But that's one event. The reality is all of the ministry that's happening, all the dream that God's put before us, it takes us all doing our part, playing our role, using our gifts to be able to accomplish that. We've talked about things in our dream like planting churches in nearby communities. We've talked about building a larger hub in the Highland City community so that we could keep expanding the ministry that's happening there. We've talked to you about how important it is that all of us are living sent, literally being the hands and feet of Jesus going into the world around us. We've talked to you about the dream and the vision of every person at TBA stepping foot into Honduras, 
so that you can experience what God is doing there, so that you can experience what he might do in your heart when you walk through that. And I look at all these things and, and I see so much potential in our church for what we can accomplish and the things that we can do. But let me just be as transparent as I can be about my own journey for a few minutes. And I'm speaking, this is just, just for Brian Legg this morning. I've not even talked to Dave and Stivey about this because God was really working on me through the week and I didn't get some of this put together until yesterday morning so they didn't get a chance to hear. But I think they'd probably line up pretty close to where I am on this. I look back across the last couple of years and I realize that I've been battling frustration and disappointment and sometimes even, I would say, discouragement. And it's because I see all the potential that we have as a church and I'm confident of the dream that God's placed in our hearts for TBA. But yet there's a lot of times I don't see us moving forward in that dream very well. And there's definitely a part of that that I look at and I can recognize and realize that it's just, it's God's timing. And I, I don't always do real good at lining up with God's timing. I don't know how you guys do with that in your life, but for me it's like, I see what he's wanting to do and, and I see the dream he's put before us, let's do it tomorrow. Let's have it done, let's get there. And sometimes that's not what he wants. Sometimes it takes us a journey and it's that slow growth process to get there and it doesn't go as fast as it wants. So I realize that's part of it. But I think there's another struggle I've observed where we as a church family sometimes struggle with obedience. We struggle to say yes to the important things. We struggle to say yes to the opportunities that God's put in front of us. And it's, it's not all the time. I mean, hear me, there's been moments where God has shown up and this church family has been extremely obedient and it's been amazing. I think back to when we bought the house in Highland City and how all that transpired. That was such an awesome moment where God showed up. We as a church family were obedient and he did amazing things. I look at the homework club that's happening in Highland City and how that's come together. That's an amazing thing. The number of volunteers who have plugged in and are serving there. Those are all great. But I also know that there are moments to contrast that where it just feels like we're pulling teeth, trying to get normal ministry things to happen, trying to do the basics of ministry that need to be going on day in and day out in the church. And as we've walked on this journey over the past year or so, we've been walking with these coaches that we've introduced you to. You've heard from some of them. And we've asked them to speak some outside perspective into it. You know, here's some guys coming in who aren't part of TBA, who aren't in the struggle of doing ministry here, who can look at it and go, what's God doing? How's he moving? What's good? And what are some things that you need to be looking at differently? And we've stepped back and we've looked at, at the church with a little different perspective. And it's been eye-opening for me. I mean, literally eye-opening to the point of, shifting the way I look at ministry in a lot of ways. Because as we've looked at this, this role that we carry as pastors to equip you, to give you the necessary tools to be effective and successful, or maybe you would say that our role is to be disciplers, to help you in that discipleship journey, I'm realizing that I've been frustrated because I've been looking for this spiritually mature response to come from our church family, when the truth is, a lot of our church family, spiritually speaking, are either children or adolescents. And this is where I want you to hear my heart. Because I know it sounds like I'm being very critical, and I know it sounds like I'm, I'm probably be, being demeaning towards you, and that's not my goal. So before you get offended, hear me. You have to understand how eye-opening this was for me. Helping me to see that there were some things I hadn't looked at as a pastor very well. Realizing that we have a responsibility to change some things. We have a responsibility to create an opportunity for you to be discipled, to grow, to develop in your walk with Christ. We needed to shift some of our focus to help develop that. 
It's where the conversation began relating to a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is a church and as leaders. And you've heard us talk about that some, but I don't know if you have a full picture of what that looks like. As a pastor team, it was us looking at the need that we've got to move towards leading leaders rather than being so involved in doing ministry. Something we had known for a long time, but it was kind of a rubber meets the road moment where we went, this is the time. We have to make a shift in how we're leading. Developing a culture of true discipleship where we're making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. Allowing the vision to be carried out because we're truly functioning as the church. Using our gifts to build one another up. Carry the gospel to the world. And as we began to shift that perspective and gain understanding of how critical this was, it began to change our scorecard as well. Maybe you don't even know what the scorecard is. A scorecard is something that a church uses to be able to assess how healthy are we. Are we moving in the right direction? Are we doing the things we need to be doing? How successful are we being at accomplishing the vision that God's put before us? For most churches, things on a scorecard are things like weekly attendance, weekly giving, how many people are baptized in the course of a year. And those are all things that are part of our scorecard have been. But we began to realize that we needed to be measuring some different things that were really of a higher priority for our church moving forward. We needed to be asking questions like, how many people were being discipled? How many people are growing in their walk with Christ? Are we developing disciplers? How do you even measure some of those things? We're starting to talk about journeys of heart now. How do you measure that? How do you figure that out? How do you assess those things and know if you're being healthy or not? It led to conversation that reiterated how important small groups are in this process. We knew they were important. We knew that they were a foundational piece of our discipleship structure. But to be quite honest, small groups were kind of rolling along and doing their own thing and it wasn't one of those fires you had to put out at that time. It wasn't something that was you know, eating at us. You ever go through life like that where you just put out the biggest fire and you keep putting them out trying to maintain it and keep it at bay? And I felt like we were there a lot. And as we had this conversation and talked about the importance of building disciples, realized we've got to be speaking vision into our small group leaders. We've got to be training our small group leaders, equipping them to disciple other people, to take people on a journey to help them grow in their walk with Christ. If this is really going to be our foundational structure, we've got to make it that. And so it required a shift in our leadership. For me personally, it meant that I had to give up some other things I was doing in ministry. I had to shift some other responsibilities around, and I took over leadership of our small groups so that we could walk forward in that journey and develop that and create a new culture. We also began having conversation about how do we take, take people even deeper than that? When it goes beyond small group, how do we help them to develop and to grow in their faith to truly become disciplers who are discipling other people? And that's where Stivey and Tim Parker began to work and dream together, and discipleship groups were born out of that. Groups of three to four people who are digging deeper into God's Word, who are taking it to the next level in their study and their plan. Someone's leading them. You've got one person discipling two or three other people and taking them on a journey. It's kind of like small group on steroids, you might say. But it's taking a deeper look into everything about our Christian walk, walking through proven things that are catalysts in our spiritual growth that will help us to move along. And it's been amazing, as you see those groups come together, even though they've only been functioning a couple months or a few months, to see the growth that's already happening, to see the change in thinking that is happening in people, to hear the difference in the conversations because of how God's speaking to their heart and they walk this journey out. If you go a step deeper, we've been saying for a long time that we had to build a new leadership structure at TBA. We needed more leaders to support the growth that God was bringing our way, to support the vision that he was unfolding before us. We needed to take some people who were already discipled, who were already mature in their walk, 
and really push them to step into leadership roles, to take that a step deeper. And so Dave worked and came up with this leadership initiative, and it's something that he has started now. This is a high-commitment thing. It's invitation only. These are people who are already discipled in their journey, who we've called and see the call in their life to step up and be leaders, and we're asking them to be disciples of other leaders. So you have disciples making disciples making disciples. And it's going to help lead the change here at TBA. I see all these things have become more important measurements on our scorecard here than things like attendance or even giving or baptisms or those things. And as we began to talk about how to measure that, our scorecard began to look different. We broke it into three levels. D1, D2, D3, discipleship groupings. D1 is our small groups, that foundational level. Asking questions like, how many small groups do we have at TBA? How many people are functioning in those small groups in a healthy capacity? Who's being developed as a new small group leader within those groups? How's each group living sent? Some practical things that we can measure to assess that health. D2 are discipleship groups or D groups, asking a lot of the same questions. How many D groups do we have that are active at TBA? How many people are being discipled in that process? Who's ready to step out and lead another D group? Who's come through that journey far enough that they can turn around and disciple someone else? D3, the leadership initiative. How many people are walking in that journey? We sent out several invitations. Only a few could commit because it's a high commitment thing. It's a big, big deal. Who's walking in that journey? How are they developing? What's happening in their heart? How's God going to use them to expand the ministry of TBA and his kingdom? How has he gifted them and wired them to move forward with this? A big question overall, who's living sent? How many people from our church are living sent or functioning in some capacity in a living sent ministry, doing what God's called them to do in their life, living that out, carrying that to the world? How many living sent ministries are effectively ministering in the community? It doesn't mean that we don't still pay attention to attendance or we don't still pay attention to giving or any of those other things. It just means those measurements don't drive the ship anymore. We're looking at how are people growing in their walk with Christ. What does that journey look like? Even though it's often a slow process, we know that if we're building disciples of Christ and helping people to mature in their faith, that attendance, giving, serving, discipling, living sent, all of those things are going to be a natural outpouring of that growth. They're going to come from it. God has put the vision before us to be the hands and feet of Jesus so that we can change the community and the world by fulfilling the great commission to go and make disciples. We're working to do everything possible to create the environment and create the process that will allow that to happen, to equip you. The question is, what will you do with it? Remember I told you that the biggest responsibility comes back to you in this journey and you making the commitment and the decision to walk in that journey? Are you willing to come to God with a childlike faith? Are you willing to be humble and eager to learn, eager to grow? Are you willing to be to commit to putting spiritual disciplines in your life and walking in relationship where you're held accountable, where you can be taught what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus. I talked in the beginning about how Jesus modeled discipleship for us here on earth. He gives us that command in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Well, really, all of Jesus' life and his ministry here on earth was a modeling of discipleship. Ron Stiverson put this graphic together, and I'm not sure how well you can read it. I know the words are a little small on it. But this is something he's put into our TBA family class that we're beginning to offer. But it paints a picture of Jesus' discipleship journey, and we're trying to help you see how that correlates with the discipleship journey we walk on here at TBA. So it starts out with the crowd. That'd be like Sunday morning, Jesus preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, that kind of thing. We're speaking to the multitudes. 
And then you notice as it goes to the right, that arrow gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's becoming more intimate, more close, drawing closer to God in the process. So it moves to the 70, those that he sent out to do ministry, which would be very much like living sent here at TBA. Then it moves to the other disciples, kind of the bigger group of disciples that he had that were following him from place to place and listening to his teachers. And that would be like the classes that we do. It's our, our men's groups and our women's groups and the uh, discipleship classes that often happen during the summer, those kinds of things. Then it moves to the 12. It would be like our small groups. Our small groups are designed to be groups of 8 to 12, that more intimate setting where you can have conversation, where you can dig a little deeper. If you watch Jesus' ministry, you see he teaches to the multitudes, but then he pulls the disciples off to the side and he explains what he just taught to them because they didn't get it. And he had to help them dig a little deeper and understand a little better. That's what our small groups are intended to do. Then he had the three, Peter, James, and John, that he was more intimately involved with, connected to, walking with, teaching them. That'd be like our D groups, our discipleship groups. Then you had the relationship that you see happen with Peter, where it was a little more one-on-one, and he interacted with him, and he spoke life into Peter's life, and he helped Peter to be one of the key leaders that led when Pentecost happened and the church came into existence. And we do that through a coaching. And you'll see that the coaching doesn't happen for a long period of time. It's more of something to kind of help be that catalyst, to get you moving along to the next thing, hopefully to get you plugged into small group and or discipleship group or serving in a ministry in some capacity. And then he has the relationship with the Father. Jesus constantly was going back to his Father, praying, spending time with him, seeking his will. That's our devotion life. It's those disciplines in our life, praying, spending time in his word, understanding who he is, doing the things that will help us to develop in our walk as disciples. See, here's where the rubber meets the road today. There's a simple truth that many of you have never stepped beyond Sunday morning in your discipleship journey. You're still part of the crowd. And you come and you hear the message and you hear the sermon and you expect that to feed your spiritual life and to help you develop and your walk with Christ. It'll never feed your soul. That's not the intention of Sunday morning. In fact, people leave the church all the time, and I I hear this excuse, not just here at TBA, I hear other preachers talk about this all the time. People leave the church and go, well, I just wasn't being fed there. I had to go find some place I'd be fed. Well, my response is always, well, what were you doing to be fed? Because if all you're doing is showing up on Sunday morning and expecting somebody to feed you, good luck with that. 30 minutes a week, that's not going to work very well. I read a story about a, a pastor who talks about preaching for discipleship. He said preaching for the purpose of discipleship is like walking into a nursery where there's a, a whole group of screaming babies and spraying them all down with milk and saying, I fed the babies. Think about how that's going to work. You still have screaming babies who are very hungry because they didn't get the nutrition that they needed. They didn't get fed. And that's a lot of what Sunday morning is like. You can't show up on Sunday morning and expect to get sprayed down with a little bit of truth and think that that's going to develop your spiritual journey. It's not going to happen. Part of the responsibility lies on the church to provide opportunities for feeding. Absolutely. We have to provide opportunities for you to be discipled, but much more of that responsibility lies with you. You have to be willing to embrace the opportunities before you, willing to make the commitment to want to grow in your faith and to put the disciplines and relationships in place that will allow you to grow. Ben, you guys can come on up. TBA, the truth of it is we have an opportunity to grow in our walk with Christ. 
to become true disciples who are making disciples, who are making disciples, who are making disciples and changing the world. What will you do with the opportunity? If you haven't signed up for a small group, don't leave this morning without signing up. I told you weeks ago that I was going to harass you to no end until you signed up for a small group. I took that role in our staff team, and I'm going to fulfill that. I want to see every person in TBA part of a small group plugged into that because that's that foundational piece of discipleship that happens. So if you're not signed up yet, stop by Next Steps and sign up. Talk to Joni, talk to myself, talk to one of the other pastors or one of the other team that's there at Next Steps. Make sure you get signed up. And here's where I'll be really honest with you. If the whole church showed up this morning at Next Steps and signed up for small groups, we're going to have a really big problem because we don't have that many small group leaders in place. We don't have enough structure in place. But I would much rather have that problem than to know that people are walking without being discipled. It's that big of a deal. And we'll figure it out and we'll deal with it and we'll make it work somehow. I can't promise you we'll fix it right now today, but it'll be our biggest priority this week to make sure you get plugged into a group and you're walking in that journey. If you're not plugged into a discipleship group, which I know most of you are not because it's a new thing, you need to plug into that. You need to be walking that journey where you can be discipled, where you have someone speaking into your life, helping you to grow in your walk. Go to Next Steps and sign up for that. Be a part of that. I know Next Steps is still a new thing for us, and we're still learning and grasping it and understanding it, but, but I want you to hear and understand this is a place where you can go for whatever your needs are. Whether you, you've been convicted of something this morning, you need to pray with somebody about it, whether you want to sign up for a small group or a D group, whether you want to plug into a ministry, maybe you're walking through crisis right now, maybe your marriage is falling apart, maybe you're having problems with your kids, maybe something else is going on in life that you're just struggling with, you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're going through some physical ailments, you need somebody to anoint you and pray over you. That's where we're going to ask you to go so that you can have someone pray with you. There will be people there to meet you, talk to you, walk with you in that journey. And I want you to be there and be a part of that. You don't have to wait. You can go now. You can go during the songs. You can come at the end of service. But make sure you stop by and talk to somebody. Allow Christ to help you to continue your growth in that journey. Let's take a moment and pray. Would you stand with me as the band comes? God, we just, we thank you that you are continually growing us. God, that you're speaking into our lives and that you're pointing out things in us that areas that we need to grow and need to develop. God, I pray that we could have that childlike faith that you, come, that you talk about, that we could come to you with, with eager hearts, ready and willing to learn and to grow and to develop and looking forward to that. And God, wanting to reach that next stage of development and, and to mature in that walk. I pray that you would point out the things in us that leave us immature, the toxins in our soul that keep us from growing, the areas where we need to allow you to speak into. God, help us just to be open to your leading. And I pray that you would move in spirit now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we continue to worship, I've been reflecting just on a, a verse and, and some things just stand out on me and it's in the Psalms and David says, how awesome, how more awesome are you, Lord, than your holy places. And I'm thinking, so David caught a vision of God's holy places, how amazing that is, but yet he caught a greater vision of who God is. 
And that's what discipleship is. It's catching a greater vision of God that we're like John when we go into Revelation 4. And John can't even describe the Father. When he sees the Father, he's, he, all he can do is, is it's like diamonds or stones with this blood red coming out and a rainbow wrapped around the throne and a sea of glass. It's just beyond what he can think, just reflecting light everywhere. That's the Father. But the same Father came as the great I am and sweat blood before he went to a cross for me and you so we could be loved. You don't have to jump through hoops. Jesus said, only believe. He is the way, the truth, and the life as we worship him. Believe.